Hey bosses, this week's sponsor is Masterworks.io, the pioneer in blue chip art investing for everyone. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 130 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Sam and I have both left LA and Vegas. I'm in Cancun, Mexico, hmm. and Sam, are you back in Tampa? No, no Charlotte, North, yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, I forgot. Yeah, still out of boxes, working, uh, using my suitcase as a temporary desk, but it works. Hey, it works. Nice. Does it feel good to be settled back home at least? Uh, no, not actually. I was really enjoying Las Vegas and uh, in, in LA and being with everybody, and now it's kind of quiet unpacking boxes uh i'm not quite settled yet but it was a whirlwind last week buddy what a great yeah, event that was exciting so for you guys who missed the invest like a boss summit in la and vegas we, we wish you were you were there take, take a look at some of the photos on our facebook page look for invest like a boss but it was it was a great event it was really fun really good and the vegas was just i, I think that setup johnny is perfect where you do kind of one day dedicated content networking professional stuff although we did have fun and then you take kind of a one-day breather and then go have fun for one day uh, for our audience i think that's the perfect setup yeah it was definitely fun unfortunately you know a big percentage of people couldn't make it to vegas with us but we had a good, good you know small group of bosses who came out for drinks we had tapas at a at a the cosmo and then we drove supercars we had literally we had what ferraris lamborghinis Audi R8s, Acura NSXs. Uh, it, it was it was amazing. And I guess we should go ahead and reveal who got the fastest lap on the track. Was it Meb Faber? <laughs> it was Meb Faber, yeah. He won by two nice. seconds. Nice. He ran a 110 in the Ferrari. And he said he'd never been on a track before. Dude, but that guy's for anyone a boss. That's not been, he's awesome, man. And anyone that's not been to Vegas, go to Speed Vegas. It's, it's incredible. I was overwhelmed by the fact that they just let anybody pull up straight out of Vegas, get in a absolute mint condition super sport car, like a Ferrari 488, and just drive around this two-mile-long track at top speeds. I think we got up to about 145 on the back straightaway, Johnny. You got up to 145. I think I barely hit 100. <laughs> no, I think uh, I hit like oh, 115. Well, you were in the Corvette. You, need a, you didn't have the, those twin turbos pushing you. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I, I think I didn't even realize we had started racing. I was kind of just listening to the instructor. If in my mind, it was still like a practice lap, and I I forgot I only had signed up for one lap, so I never really got to push it. So I would recommend if you really want the track experience, do two at least two laps. Uh, I I took a look. The last time I was in Vegas, I went to the competitor. I went to Exotics Racing. It's a very similar setup, but they have a five lap minimum per car, and it starts at three hundred bucks. So, mm. a kind of the same price if you're going to do five laps. Uh, Exotics also has, I think, nicer cars. I would say, I mean, the Ferrari is a Ferrari, and the Huracan's a Huracan. But um, at Exotics, they also had what was that car you almost bought that you couldn't get the final uh, McLaren? Yeah, they had a McLaren. McLaren. That's what they need. That's what that's what this one Speed Vegas was missing, in my opinion. Yeah. So Exotics definitely had more of a selection. So I would do, I would do both. I mean, honestly, it's so fun and it's not that expensive. You could do you know them back to back one day after another. It really is a good. I mean, you can do it cheap. You can do it for like a hundred bucks and just do one lap in a less lesser good car. But for five hundred bucks, you go out and run around a track in a brand new Lambo Ferrari. Uh, I ran, went around in a Audi R8. I mean, that's. I don't think you can beat that value. That's an experience of a lifetime. Yeah, definitely. And it almost doesn't matter how much money you have, whether, you know, you're saving up like I am to try to get to our first million or you already have, you're a, what, would you call it a decamillionaire? This one has 10 million. What ultra, do they have? Ultra wealthy. Ultra wealthy. And then, yeah. And then, if, you cent, know, or if you have centimillionaire, well, we I never can't heard give of that away term. all the terms that we're going to go over on okay. this episode, Johnny. <laughs> we'll so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to jump into the episode and then Sam and I are going to chat about what actual wealth is and what we're at what point we would personally 
look into a family office or if we would invest our own money ourselves, no matter what. So who do we have on this week, Sam? So we got on Richard Wilson. So Richard Wilson runs a company called Family Office Club. Funny thing is, actually, we we had on Dave uh, Van Horn. A lot of people will be familiar with Dave, uh, who runs PPR Note Co. Um, and I was talking to Dave separately. He's like, "You got to have this guy, Richard Wilson, on the on the podcast, talk about family offices and some of the stuff he does." And I'm glad we got him on because this is super interesting stuff. So we're going to talk about lifestyles of the rich and famous and how the ultra wealthy really manage their lifestyle because it's not just all fun and games when you have a hundred million dollars you have a lot of responsibility even if it's just keeping track of the dollars and cents uh, and your houses and boats and things of that nature so what a lot of these families do they employ family offices or create their own family office to basically run their investments and run their life as a business and we're going to hear a lot more about that on this episode with richard wilson I'm excited for it. I think all of this, regardless of where we are at with our personal finances and fortunes, it's something to either dream about or put into place. So if you guys are listening that already have a few million, maybe even a hundred million or more under your belt, this is definitely for you. And for the rest of you in my shoes, this is something we can kind of daydream about and plan ahead for. So let's take a listen. Everyone, welcome back. We just finished our summit out in Los Angeles and Las Vegas, and I am back on the air with Richard Wilson. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to talk about family offices and this new concept of centimillionaire. We've never recorded an episode on family offices. I'm intrigued, and I know there's no better expert in the field than you. So Thanks for joining us, Richard, and I think maybe a great place to start off, just as for the beginners out there and people who are not familiar with family offices, can you just give us what a family office actually is? Sure. Yeah, happy to. So a uh, family office is really just a wealth management investment solution put together for an ultra-wealthy family. So if you are worth $100,000, you have more complex, you have less complexity than someone who's worth a million dollars, just like somebody who's worth a million dollars is a much more simple financial picture than somebody worth $100 million. So the wealthier you are, the busier you are. So you're more likely to miss a filing date or not optimize every timing of every transaction for taxes or not even be aware of what's going on in every LLC that you're part of if you have 30 of them going on. Yet the mistakes are much more expensive. So a mistake that costs you 3% of your net worth in taxation or 5% in your tax level for the year could have paid for a full-time team just to prevent that one mistake if you're worth a lot of money. Whereas if you're not worth much, then it, you don't get that ROI. So you're more likely to make the mistakes and they're more expensive. That's why a family office is needed just to help not only play defense, make sure you keep the regulators happy and you know file things on time and optimize taxes, but also play a good offense and take advantage of the opportunities that come with whatever success you've had that made you ultra wealthy. I, foc- I know you focus quite a bit on on the centimillionaire demographic, those super rich over $100 million in net wealth. Is that really the level that people start thinking about family offices or can it be people with $10 million, $20 million, $50 million? Um, it really can be starting at $10 million and up. Uh, there's usually multifamily offices that could be serving you. And a multifamily office is really a wealth management organization that's geared to really serve the ultra wealthy. So um, many people who are clients of one might be worth 20 or 30 million, but starting at seven to 10, you can join one as a client. And then what happens is that when somebody's worth uh, not just seven to 10 million, but more so at 15, 20, 30 million and, and much higher, then they're likely to want more and more control over parts of their portfolio. And they're more likely to have so much going on within the non- publicly traded the non-stock market portion of their portfolio that they need to start building out a dedicated team and dedicated solutions. And the way to think about it is that everyone typically has three portfolio components, the stock market, vast diversification component is playing defense for you and tracking the market a bit, a real estate investment component um, of cash flowing assets mostly, usually, um, and then a component reinvest in operating businesses. And what happens is that once somebody is worth 15, 20, or you know, say 100 million or more, they're that much more likely to have the need of having a dedicated team and resources for managing the second and third bucket 
of wealth because there's so much going on there and so much opportunity that it just does it more justice to have that, that dedicated team. Got it. So, so a multifamily office would be kind of a shared family office in a sense between multiple families. Mm-hmm. And to give an example, the closer you get to $100 million, the more likely you need to have your own team for some of your transactions. But it doesn't mean that you don't use a multifamily office for part of your work. So just to make it really clear, <laughs> we have a client who's only worth $20 million, but they're sitting on $20 million, uh, $10 million of cash, and we're helping them allocate to real estate and healthcare investments because that's their background. They have a wealth advisor that manages their public market securities investments. So we have another client that's $135 million net worth. And we are helping them, uh, we help them get plugged into a multi-billion dollar multifamily office while we just help them look for real estate assets. So they can have the ability to do independent work and still have their own team, uh, even if they're larger. It just, you know, at $100 million, you have to have some sort of family office solution or you're paying for one just through lost opportunities and extra costs, essentially. Right. So everyone's heard the story of the rich guy. I know this rich guy, you know this rich guy. And I think for for most people, that comes off as an inspiring story. I know this rich guy that does X, Y, and Z, and people say, oh, wow, that sounds amazing. When I hear these stories, I think, how do they, how do you manage all these assets? How do you manage that lifestyle? Because the life, the day-to-day lifestyle for you know just a, a typical corporate employee or, or even a, a kid that's just got out of, of college is it seems like a handful. And when you throw in 10 houses, a jet, a yacht, and all these things, I just can't wrap my head around how you could manage all that and enjoy it because it seems like everything, every one of those new toys or assets that you add to the equation would just become a lot more responsibility and liability. For that, mm-hmm. guy, that ha- for that guy or gal that has 10 houses, the jet, the yacht, etc., I suppose all that is in some part managed by a family office or a, a multifamily office at that stage. Would that, would that be a, a correct assumption? It is the percentage of the time. You know, many of the ultra wealthy don't even know what a family office is. Uh, many think they have part of a family office in place and it's really a strong CPA, a strong executive assistant, and like a CFO or a CEO they really trust that overlooks all their holdings that happen to be all in manufacturing or all in real estate, et cetera. Um, so there's all different varieties out there, but there's a lot of commonalities among family offices. And one thing is that if a family can get very clear on their reality, the new reality they want to live in, it might be working 70 hours a week because they love what they do and they love deal making and investing, et cetera. Or it could be they want to be on the beach traveling the world or somewhere in between. And I have clients with all three mindsets. The most important thing is to know exactly what you want as one of those families and then to build a very strong team that's customized getting that solution in place. Because if you want full control and be involved in everything, then that's a very different team that you need. Then you want to step back, have everything managed for you. You just want to see a report once a month and just get pure market diversification and not drive value forward, acquiring seven manufacturing companies to roll up. That's the other end of the spectrum. So in response to your first part of your question, yeah, it can be hectic and chaotic. And I have clients that have four private jets, and they're moving, you know, 400 miles per hour, and they love it. I've got a couple of those guys that I'm sure will be billionaires, and they're at two to 400 million each right now. I have other people that are that busy, and they're not keeping up with it. And you just see things crumbling around them, and you try to help them. And even their own attorney can't get responses from them, because the amount of activity around them is too much for one human being, and they don't have the infrastructure. And we try to give it to them, And they just aren't realizing that we are the solution to this not being painful. And uh, so some some families handle that pressure, you know, better than others. Uh, So to your point, I think it's very accurate. It can be an overwhelming amount of responsibilities and, you know, little pokes and needs from everyone around you at that level. Yeah, I would imagine a a difficult part for a lot of people is is just giving up the control and 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 trusting because a, a lot of these people that are have become super successful and super wealthy they've done it in a, in a way of generally building a business in a lot of cases and i would imagine they they in order to to do this efficiently uh and to really remove a lot of the you know the the responsibilities off yourself you really have to learn to give up trust to uh the individuals who who would be in the family office is that is that something that you have to try to coach into a lot of people or is um what's your experience with that a lot of people have learned on the way up that um, you can hire someone for 90000 a year or 50000 a year 
in a certain position and that 90,000 a year person might give you triple the return and be less of a pain, uh, less of a time suck. So less personal time cost, but triple the results. So a lot of people have learned that, not everyone. Um, and so many times we're dealing with really successful entrepreneurs that get that and in value uh, that almost to the point where uh, a complaint is often, oh, why is the family office so thrifty? Or why are they grinding me down on these fees? They're worth a billion dollars. You know, why do they care if I make 400,000 versus 200? And I think families are not cheap uh, by nature, even if people label them as such. I think they just want good value. You know, they don't mind paying the sticker price of a Rolls Royce. They just don't want to get a Honda Civic with no air conditioning for the price of a Rolls Royce. So as long as they're getting big value, they don't mind paying a large dollar amount. Um, it's just being, you know, having things in a line is, is really important for the entrepreneurial, like first, second generation families. Mm. Now, of, of the extended suite of off, uh, of services that a family office can provide, I would imagine you kind of break it up into in certain categories or buckets, financial planning, tax planning, administrative, operational support, things of that nature. What what percent on average would you say is typically going around financial planning and including investing a lot um for some family offices they might have a foundation already or a couple of nonprofits they like they might have a strong ea in the personal side of their life they need help managing um and in many people's eyes the family office is there just to manage the investment strictly so a very large percentage and in the multi for multi-family offices besides helping a little bit with multi-generational planning and a little bit on philanthropy and, and estate planning, it really is all about the investments. And in some cases, 100%, all they do is just manage the investments for the ultra wealthy. And that's the extent of their family office solution. Um, for single family offices, what's most important, though, and I think this could help someone who's looking to invest like a family office, you know, like the name of your podcast, invest like a boss. I mean, if you had call someone who's worth $100 million plus uh, a centimillionaire or take that word boss and put the word family office in there. Um, I think the most important thing I'm always trying to drive home with my clients is that you have to know your values, your priorities, your control preferences, your return goals, your income needs, you know, uh, your risk parameters, where you want to be traveling too often, um, how involved you want to be, what time commitments you're open to. And the more clear you are on that, the more intentional you are, then the better all of the investments go. So even though it's very much about the investments many times, getting to know a family really well personally and just who they are as an entrepreneur or a business person or a family person should shape everything else that they do. So you shouldn't spend any money until you know exactly what that new reality is you want to live in and, and know then what resources to put in place. Otherwise, all the dollars you spend and hours you spend could be massively misaligned with what you really want to get done over time. Hey bosses, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Masterworks.io. Masterworks is the pioneer in securitizing blue chip art to make this $1.7 trillion asset class investable by both accredited and non-accredited investors. While the S&P 500 declined by 5.1% last year, the art market returned a whopping 10.6%. And this was called the top performing asset class of 2018 by the Wall Street Journal. Their founder, Scott Lynn, wanted to create a way for everyone to invest in great multi-million dollar paintings. Now anyone can be part of Warhol, Monet, or Picasso. To learn more or to join the exclusive community of blue chip art investors, go to masterworks.io. Make sure you enter Invest Like a Boss in the How You Heard About Masterworks section to skip the waitlist. Now you've spent time and worked with dozens and dozens of ultra wealthy families over, over the, I would imagine, decades. How many of these or how many people would say a fifty million dollar net worth family be able to employ versus say a hundred million dollar centimillionaire family? Sure, a lot of uh, fifty million dollar net worth families will just have one to three full time professionals and then outsource a lot of the functions. So if the family made their like one of my clients made their money in healthcare, but they also do hard money lending into real estate and. Um, they might have one person with the healthcare expertise to oversee assets and help drive things forward. And they might own a couple of healthcare related companies. They might have two or three professionals overseeing the hard money lending, like an analyst, maybe a CFO to do all the modeling, and then somebody that helps with due diligence and just day to day 
follow up with potential deals. And that would be kind of a typical size team, the one to four people. If somebody is worth 100 million to 200 million, um, you know, they could have around double that size team as a general rule. Um, but it just depends on the family. I've seen a $800 million net worth family that just has a three person team and a uh, $200 million net worth family that has a dozen members. Um, but one thing that drastically changes that is how much you want to rely upon outsourced services versus not. And generally, I encourage families to outsource everything that they don't think they have superior expertise in and is not really critical for them to do. And then the other thing that drastically changes it is that if you call it your family office, but really you're building a platform company and you're doing a healthcare acquisition and drug testing and you're just acquiring 10 more companies in the drug testing niche, then the lines between the CFO and the CEO that's very strong overlooking that healthcare platform versus who's really helping you run your family office. If your family office has a really singular purpose and focus, you know, the lines between who's really within that operating business versus serving the family office because the family has such a clean focus can sometimes really warp when people say, well, how many people are in your family office? They might say, oh, well, only 20. But we employ, like one of my clients, he employs uh, 2,000 employees, but that's across, that's across the 30 hotels that he owns. So uh, those people aren't within his family office, but they're within the operating businesses of the family office. And, um, you know, I think it's an important distinction for if someone's going to meet with one. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, I want to transition the focus kind of straight into the centimillionaires. Richard, would you consider a centimillionaire ultra wealthy or super rich, or, or would you would you raise the bar or even lower the bar for that distinction? Um, usually, um, I can share like what terms that probably 80% of people use in my industry, because mm-hmm. people in different parts of the world may use different terms. But uh, ultra wealthy typically is meaning uh, $10 million plus net worth, although sometimes people we'll say it means 30 million plus net worth. And just so people know, there's a marked number that people can at least track and know of for the number of people worth $30 million plus, and it's 225,000 people globally. So quite a big group. Uh, and then the number of centimillionaires that are worth $100 million plus um, is 55,000. And then the number of billionaires that we know of is 3,000. But all those numbers are much higher than we know of because a lot of people, if you're not in the U.S. or Western Europe, you know, they're scared of the Russian or Malaysian or Indonesian government confiscating your assets or making up a new regulation or coming to ask for a handout um, or a bribe, you know, for some reason, or your kids could get kidnapped at their private school or or whatever. And uh, so for that reason, it's always underreported. And you have to remember that someone might not be a billionaire technically, but between their brother and their sister, they might each be worth 700 million. So the family is a billion dollar family, but they don't make it on the radar of the billionaire list. Same with centimillionaires and many family members invest with each other. So those statistics, those are, you know, that's a lot of ultra wealthy. And to think that those numbers are really much higher just shows how big the market is. Makes me think I'm just a little pinprick. It's, it's amazing how many how many wealthy people there are there. I, I, whenever I see right. a, a, like a, a mega mansion or you know super yacht, I always want to just know how they made their money. I wish there was an app where you just like scan the boat or scan the house. I, I bet in a couple of years we'll be able to do that. It'll pull up the profile of the person who owns it and says how they made their money because it's just a lot of money out there. And it's I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're thinking it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grinding away 16 hours a day building a business and it's, it's hard to make money in big chunks like that. So, I mean, you, you have a very interesting, yeah, you have, you have a very <laughs> interesting profession, Richard, because you actually get to know so many of these families and know exactly how they made their money. I bet that's just an awesome insight. Definitely exciting. I mean, uh, none of my clients inherited their money or won the lottery. So it's the most exciting thing about what we do is that we get to work with like the winners of the game of capitalism and figure out, <laughs> you know, what strategies they've employed to do well on the monopoly board and I think that uh, that's what keeps my role interesting. And honestly, we're just trying to selfishly serve clients as best we can so they don't leave us, but learn from them to implement their strategies within our sandbox, you know, while running the family office club. And, you know, we put on 30 events a year. And I realized early on the family offices were giving me advice through feedback. And they were saying things like, well, you're not only running events, right? Like, that's this is the real way you're making money. And even back when it kind of was at the beginning, I was like, 
oh, well, we got this other little thing going on. They're like, oh, okay, good. Because I knew that you were smart enough not to just be selling conference tickets in this mm-hmm. high value space. You could be closing deals or, you know, helping with, um, for example, we have an investor relations marketing agency called uh, pitchdex.com that we've grown to 50 clients this year uh, without advertising just because people at our events need help with their pitch deck, logo, yeah. website, et cetera. And to your point, um, I do feel like a peon next to a lot of my clients. That's also very motivating. Uh, if you look at the positive side of it, of just what did they do? And um, a question that usually comes up, and I always like it when it comes up on these interviews, is just how to replicate um, the success of the families. Like, what's the golden thread between a lot of these families? And I'd like to address that if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Cool. Uh, yeah. So one thing I've found is that whenever I can help a family do this, they say, wow, that was great. And they get very excited. And whenever I do this, I make a lot more money than when I don't. So basically, if you combine really looking at your own strengths um, and what's where have you made money, where do you make progress more than your competitors with less effort and where are you really strong and you've been strong consistently in that area. And that's one of three areas. And then you look at where is there a lot of demand and inevitably there'll be even more demand in the future. So there's just a growing tide. And like Warren Buffett says, sometimes the tide matters more than the swimmer. But if you're only choosing to enter races where it's playing on your strength, then you are going to be a better swimmer than others. But you also are only choosing things that are on trend, rising tide, there's strong demand. And then the third component is not overly crowded or commoditized. So there's not a ton of competition it's not all about the lowest price and there's not a thousand people to compete with, with the exact same offering or, or benefit uh, proposition for potential clients. And if you can combine that, then you're only doing things you naturally are great at. So people actually like the delivery and then your business is growing with an industry, even if you're an average swimmer. Uh, but then also, you know, doing things that's, that's um, you're going to get more ROI because you're not lost in the noise. And so, we um, have several business units within the family office club, but those are the screens that we pass things through so that, and, it, and we, those are the screens we help families apply to their own portfolio. So yeah, if they want to invest 5% of their total net worth and a bunch of random stuff from their brother-in-law and stuff that here at the golf club, great, it's their money, but we help them develop a focus based on who they are, who they want to be, what life they want. Uh, and those screens to help them get better results. All right. What's the sentiment with centimillionaires, you know, the, the, the super rich? Do you find that they, a lot of them are just content? You get to $100 million, say, I'm good. Um, I'm okay if, if we go sideways. I'm okay if, if my net wealth doesn't grow. Or do, does, do, do more than, than not always want to continue to grow their wealth or feel the need to grow their wealth? More of them always want to grow period, um, not just grow their wealth, but grow their story, grow the family's capabilities, grow the family's fulfillment, grow their meaning legacy, grow their ability to help others around them, such as employees or nonprofits they're involved with and their own family members. So I think growth is definitely central. Um, I can't think of any clients that don't really want to grow. Uh, sometimes they want to grow the son's capabilities to run the companies now because they did it and they sold the company for like one family I'm working with uh, in your region, they sold for over 200 million, and now the son is going to build the next 100 million dollar in revenue platform company through acquisitions, and that that is the form of growth that they're going for. And that journey and the process is just as important, and what that what that makes the son into is just as important as the results. And um, there's something strange that happens with some families that. You know, for a while, until you really kind of make it and you're worth, you know, 10 million minimum or 20, 30, many times as a business owner or person, it can be a little bit like a grind, whether or not you have a mortgage stress over your head or kids going to college or in the back of your mind, you're just telling yourself, I haven't made it yet. I got to keep working hard. You got to double down. You know, need to, you know, take this window opportunity and nail it. And you got that thought in the back of your head that you're kind of really reaching for something and not that you would do anything to get there, but kind of a feeling that you got to really work hard to get there. And what's so interesting to me is that sometimes families get there and whether it's 50 million or 200 million, sometimes then having the option to sit on a beach the rest of their life, but them saying, no, that sounds boring. Or yeah, I did that for a year and a half. You know, one of my clients spent $2 million on a vacation last year, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
than realizing, well, that's really boring and that's not who I am and opting into, I am going to choose to work. So now it's a complete choice. I literally could do nothing the rest of my life and my kids could too. So it's all choice now moving forward makes it so that they actually are just as hardworking, if not more than before, because now Mm. they're doing it out of excitement and interest and no obligation at all. Like they don't have to do a damn thing. They're not going to work with anyone they don't really like. Not going to do any project that's not super exciting. And they're just going to go for it because they really have nothing to lose because they've got enough stocked away in real estate that's cash flowing in the the markets that they'll be fine. You know, so they actually Mm -hmm. work harder than ever sometimes. Yeah. I imagine that kind of 5 million to 15 million in net wealth can be, you can feel almost stretched because you have enough in assets. It's a lot to to manage. You might have three or four properties. You might have, uh, you know, business operations around the world, but, but, you might not have or, or want yet to to do the family office route or have a lot of professional help. So you might be trying to manage a lot of it yourself. But I imagine after you get kind of to the, the $20 million mark and you can you can hire professional help, I bet a lot of people will, will grow their net wealth at a higher velocity then because it actually, they free themselves up to really to really go after what their kind of, their core competencies are and core advantages are. Yeah, I think, I think anytime you emerge towards a new plateau and the level of opportunities, like uh, Sun Tzu says, is, you know, uh, opportunities multiply as they're seized. And I think mm. that every time you're moving up through a level, you kind of have to reorganize your team and reassess what now is the best use of your time. So when you start a business, you might be like, hey, we're going to try these 12 ideas. Anything that makes money passes the filter. And then it's like, okay, well, it has to be a seven-figure a year business opportunity or it doesn't pass the filter. Just like at Google, if they can't do a billion of revenue, it's not worth their time to even look at. Um, and so as families progress through those stages, making it so their time is more and more focused, their team is better, and that the, all their solution providers, instead of just your CPA you've used for 15 years, maybe getting a high-power accounting firm so you have financial statements and you know your numbers that much better and you've got a dashboard to operate from and things of that nature. I think it's just always upgrading those to the appropriate level so you can focus on where you know, you want to be focusing, whether wealth growth or just relaxation is your goal or spending time with kids, et cetera, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to, to work with experts like yourself, because, you know, if, if you, if you sell a business, have a major windfall, that's your first time in a life becoming super wealthy. And the chances that you know h- how to manage that when you wake up in the morning, the first day is unless you have a lot of really wealthy friends that have done it, you're not going to have that experience. But where you guys have worked with, I imagine, hundreds of families and seen the progression and the velocity of, of wealth generation at different levels, and you know which solutions are, are typically needed at all these different levels. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think what you talked about earlier, I think it's just so important to note that it's such a common feeling that like, uh, you know, wow, I've been working so hard and like, I feel like I'm getting, you know, few results compared to these guys with hundred million dollar yachts. And I think it's important to note that there is some element of good fortune, but the working really hard part and being in a good space and being on a rising tide trend, those are almost just table stakes. Like you need all of those things. It's not just that you work hard and then you become ultra wealthy, obviously, or every coal mine worker or construction worker would be worth 10 million or more. Right. So I think that, um, I think just keeping keeping that all all in mind, like how do you create good luck and how do you um, you know put yourself in the position where there's some optionality on the upside and something amazing could happen in the line of work that you're doing. Like you doing this podcast, you could make some amazing connections and you're not capped in on on possibilities because of the exposure that it gives you. Um, provide some optionality within your platform that you know is not predictable that amazing things could happen because of those connections and, and your reputation, for example. Hmm. Richard, I have a few questions just to end on um, just focusing on centimillionaire lifestyles and, and, and a few of the strategies they deploy. But a couple fun questions first. Which first one is, of all the different kind of toys and or assets, uh, physical assets that the super wealthy might acquire, be it a, a house, a yacht, a jet, which takes the most headache or the most hassle or the the most administrative work to, to maintain? Um, I would say boat is the biggest black hole of money um, consistently, uh, regardless of whether you try to be smart. And then I would say that right when you become ultra wealthy, buying an overly expensive house that you'll be bored of two years later, and now you can't sell for a decade because it's overpriced, is the most common mistake when you become ultra wealthy. 
Uh, but the most favorite common toy would be a private jet. I think you know a lot of clients fly private uh, part of the time or have a private jet or four. So I think that's a pretty common toy. Okay. And then is that, so that would be the most common flying option for say a centimillionaire would be a private jet or, or maybe a shared jet? Some of them, uh, some of them fly first class a decent amount of time. If it's an easy route and they can go direct. Um, but I do think that those flying private, uh, those who own their own jet are usually 30 million plus net worth. And those that fly private through a membership card, et cetera, are usually the 10 million plus, uh, and up. And so, um, I do think those things are true, but I, I do think that they still fly first class, uh, sometimes because it's just not the, sometimes you need lead time to get the jet prepped or someone else on the team is yeah. using it or, you know, there's a pain involved to your point. Right. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned the common mistake of buying, uh, a, a large house that you might be bored with after a while. What other, or, or a couple other common mistakes centimillionaires make that, you know, in their lifestyle decisions that they often regret or, or add a lot of, of headache, um, to what should be a, a you know, a happy life. Sure. Um, I think, uh, just being careful on giving out personal loans to others. Um, I mm. think, uh, having a system to say no to things that really aren't a good investment, but you just feel bad saying no, uh, not having those processes in place is a mistake. And I think just knowing what your numbers are and, and how much income your portfolio needs to produce versus how much you can spend. Many times families get wealthy and they go on a spending spree for two or three years and then they say, oh, okay, well, at this rate, we're going to be broke again. So let's figure out a plan. And, you know, we had our fun and we knew we were, uh, we knew we couldn't live like that every year, but, you know, uh, having some reasonable plan can help keep things in check. So you're not, you know, having a multi-million dollar vacation each year. Right. Gotcha. Richard, this has been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to studying more about the super wealthy and the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Uh, lots of, lots of questions. I'm sure this, this episode has piqued questions from a lot of people, but before we get off, just tell us a little bit about family office club and, um, and your, and your center millionaire advisors. Yeah, sure. So, um, Let's give a real quick 30-second version. Family Office Club for 12 years have been uh, one of the top thought leaders globally in the space. So our website is familyoffices.com. You can see our event schedule there. We offer 30 live events a year, and it's like Netflix for investment conferences. We um, you pay two to three hundred dollars a month, and that gives you access to the events uh, that are happening in nine different cities. Um, And then this is like a membership model, essentially. We also have a marketing agency for people who are raising capital at pitchdex.com. And then with Central Millionaire Advisors, we help private investors that are at that 10, 15, 20 million or, or much higher level uh, with their direct investment portion. So we don't do wealth management work uh, how it's normally understood. We help with the real estate investment uh, deal flow and allocations and then operating business investments. And we just take a 5 to 10% performance fee on deals that people do through us. Um, and we charge no consulting fee, no retainer, no assets under management fee. So we're really aligned with the family doing well and not just charging them to place their money somewhere before knowing how it goes. And uh, just so people know, uh, we've got a free book at centimillionaires.com, and that's where the information is on Centimillionaire Advisors. What, what's the name of that book, Richard? Uh, it's called Centimillionaire Strategies, and we basically have identified the top six headaches that almost all of my $100 million plus clients have, and then we've developed kind of thinking models and tools and templates and resources um, to address each of those headaches. That, by the way, most $10 million net worth people start to have these headaches too, but $100 million, you for sure have most of these headaches, and um, that's free at uh, centimillionaires.com. Mo money, mo problems. Don't let those problems come across <laughs> with your mo money. I suppose is the uh, the the ultimate goal of getting wealthy. All exactly. Right. That's the that's that's the theme. So yeah, I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of these strategies and and lifestyle insights. Money, 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 money. Sentai millionaires. Well, future centimillionaires no. in the house, hopefully. You're you're rapping money, money, money. I'm rapping mo money, mo problems, mo Ooh. money, mo problems. Would you want to be in that position? Where okay, let, let's say you can have two 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 situations. All right, one is you have what you have now and no problems, like no stress, or you can suddenly have a hundred million dollars, but you can never 
have you can never hire outside help and you have to do everything yourself you have to manage everything yourself and you will guarantee to have headaches every day what would you want i take the i take the hundred million (laughs) still (laughs) yeah oh my god gotta have something to aspire to you know know i can see you wanting that as well i think i would take i would take 10 million with no headaches and have everything outsourced yeah, you would do that, but then you would get there and you'd, and then someone would ask you the same question and you'd say, you know what, I'll take the hundred million. Yeah, but that's the age old, age old question, right? Like when is enough? Right. But enough is never really enough. I mean, there's, there's people that have enough, but I don't know, Johnny, got to have something that gets you up in the morning and fires you up. And I just don't think being content with where you're at, you know, maybe, maybe when we're 50, Johnny, but we're, we're in our mid thirties. Like, you know, we got to we got to get up and aspire to have something to have something bigger and better and more grandiose in the future. And that's a centimillionaire, my friend, 100 million. I think you just love that word. I, I would love someone to replay this episode with a bottle of tequila or whiskey and just take shots every time Sam says the word centimillionaire. <laughs> I don't know. Ultra wealthy is a pretty cool word too. Yeah, that's Johnny, a pretty good word as well. Ultra, what if people had to call you Johnny ultra wealthy FD? You know what's funny is Johnny, when I was ultra, you know Johnny that ultra wealthy guy yeah. Johnny Ooh. you know Johnny Jen that ultra he's ultra wealthy I'm gonna that add that to good. my um to my 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 handle my name so just being Johnny FD is gonna be Johnny U W F D Jen <laughs> that's right <laughs> anyone that knows where Johnny got his FD from will laugh at that <laughs> yeah and if you haven't you can read my first book Twelve Weeks in Thailand <laughs> that, that'll hopefully add another thirty cents to my ultra wealthy fund so family office is kind of a boring word but when you strip it down it's it's your entourage and if you want to if you want a family office to sound cool just watch the series entourage and that's that's basically what it is right i mean you you can have the guys in the suits behind a wooden desk uh that are you know just doing calls all day or you can have a real life entourage you call it a family office but they help manage your life help you grow Help you, you know, invest. Help you. Before this episode, I actually didn't really understand what the term family office was. I, I had heard it a few times. I think you had mentioned it a few times. But mm-hmm. I kind of assumed it was, you know, like someone to take care of your butler, someone to take I guess I mean, I guess in some cases that that could be it, right? You have a manager, like a, a manager of your staff, and then you have your accountant and your lawyers and things like that that are all in-house. Mm-hmm. I think of it as if I would personally like to have a kick-ass CPA and a kick-ass, you know, personal attorney if I needed one. And I mean, hopefully I have my life where I don't even need one. But I don't know if I would – honestly, I don't know if I would want to manage my money that differently in, in a sense where it would stress me out that much. Like I, I almost kind mm-hmm. of feel like if I kept the same percentages of investments I do now – and just added another zero or two zeros to each investment. So, for example, instead of putting, you know, uh, three thousand dollars in Vanguard every month, what if I put thirty thousand in Vanguard every month? Like, it w- would it really? When, you know, instead of putting, you know, uh, a few thousand dollars into Pure Street every single month, what if I had to put ten thousand in Pure Street every month? Like, does it does it need to become more complicated, or can I just keep the same ratios and just add zeros? Yeah, no, you absolutely can, and I think a lot of people do it that way. That's that's the fully passive approach. You could scale that to a hundred million dollars, probably, you know, some of these alternative investments we obviously wouldn't put that much into, but certainly Vanguard, uh, REITs, things of this nature, you could easily put tens of millions of dollars into and not worry about too much, not have much additional paperwork. I think where things get really complicated on the investment front is both private deals and private property. When you start buying houses in your name and you know, buying apartment complexes, that is not only a lot of paperwork, taxes, things of this nature, count, making sure you're getting paid on time, but it's also a lot of liability. You have to make sure these things are structured correctly and your assets are protected and your personal liability is as far removed as possible. So that's, that's real estate. And then, you know, private investments uh, can take an extraordinary amount of time to oversee, manage, and, and transact. We actually got into, uh, we've actually just got an investment from a family office, which is interesting because of this episode and talking about the investment side of it. But we had a family office in Naples uh, invest in, in our company co worker just a couple of months ago. 
Um, and, and I love the, like the way they have things set up. This guy that runs their investment arm is tasked with finding entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurs in the Southeast of the USA. And like his mission is basically to support these entrepreneurs because the family office that he represents or the, the family that he represents rather, they were entrepreneurs and, you know, they want to be able to give back and support young talent in the area. Uh, but I, I just love the whole process and, and what their investing philosophy was and what it stands for. Yeah, I, I like that as well. And I do, and I do think that once people have, you know, X amount of money, you know, whether it's 50 million or 100 million, a, a big portion of their family office or their kind of tasks is to deploy that money into mm-hmm. either investments at, you know, not, not just like financial investments, but, you know, investing in like what you had just mentioned with you know, local businesses uh, or helping kind of almost kind of helping out you know, the next generation or with just mm-hmm. philanthropy or charity. Do you think that's a, a big part of it is kind of tax savings anyways, where they kind of feel like, well, I can either, you know, I can give this money to the government or I can give the same amount or maybe a little bit more to a cause that I actually believe in. Do you think that's that's the re- the main reason or do you think people get to a place where they're like, all right, well, I can afford it now. Either A, I feel bad not doing it because because of the social pressure or B, because, you know, they generally you don't want to give back now because they can, you know, or I guess it could also be C where, you know, there's another reason, you know, they like being involved for social reasons to for networking reasons, whatever it is. Yeah, I think I think it kind of goes in line with what Richard was saying about they all families want to grow. It's not necessarily just grow their wealth. It's they want to grow their network. They want to grow their legacy. They want to grow their philanthropy. Ultimately, they just want to feel good. I mean, the reason anyone wants to grow is some level of self-fulfillment and satisfaction. And I think when you are in, in, investing privately uh, in private businesses, a, it, it helps you feel relevant. So in a lot of cases, you have to you have to understand that industry. You you have to you have to potentially do calls with the owners and the founders, and, and it, you know it helps you support that industry. In a lot of cases, these wealthy families are likely investing what where they made their money in the same industry, whether it's manufacturing, tech, textiles, what have you. Uh, and it's it's kind of fun to pick winners. I mean, you want to you want to be able to back the winning ticket uh, and the winning pony. And I think that's all part of the strategy. I doubt any of these family offices are putting the majority of their investment in private business. Well, I, I, th- I guess when we think of private businesses, Johnny, we think sort of tech. But we have to remember a lot of these families made their money in industrials and manufacturing. So they very well might be investing a larger percentage of their portfolio in um, in private businesses. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And one thing that you had mentioned on the, on the interview was that it's some like a part of having a, you know, a family office is them running these businesses for you on your behalf, and I guess mm-hmm. I can see why that makes sense, you know, to invest in these businesses or buy businesses because it's you know great ROI. And and I guess another part is it's just harder to deploy that much money because like for example, right now one of the things I like about Pure Street is I can put five thousand dollars in, or let's say ten thousand dollars in, and had be diversified you know, through five or 10 different projects. But even then, sometimes my money sits there for a while on auto invest because there's not always deals. Now, imagine mm-hmm. if I had $100 million a month, well, no, sorry, $100,000 a month to deploy or even $50,000 a month to deploy. Unless I wanted to, you know, put a lot of eggs in one basket, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, if I just turned on the auto invest on at like a $1,000 minimum, it would just never get deployed. There's just not that many deals. There's not enough deals for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And if you were deploying, say, $100 million, you wouldn't be putting that all through, say, CrowdStreet or Realty Mogul or any of these other kind of real online real estate marketplaces. You would do that direct with sponsors. And we've done a couple episodes on vetting real estate deals and private placement memorandums. We know how much work it goes into finding, vetting a deal and going through all the paperwork in a professional way, right? You and I can skim it and throw 50 grand here and kind of take a chip shot. But if you're deploying that type of money, you have to have professionals that are really vetting these deals. And I think that's where a lot of the the, the overhead maintenance due diligence comes in is with private real estate and with uh, small company investments. 
But then again, once you have all those things, Johnny, and you have the houses, you have the boats, you have all these properties everywhere, it's a lot of maintenance and it's, it's not fun stuff. So hire people to take care of it for you. Does this, oh, you know what? I'm wondering if I'm trying to, I think if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have envisioned that life and say, yeah, of course I want to have three jets and a yacht. It just sounds amazing. But after Richard kind of explained, you know, all the kind of you know daily hassles of what people have to go through, I guess I, mm-hmm. I would either just have a family office that, that took care of everything, or I just wouldn't, wouldn't want to be in that position in the first place. It sounds like so much work. Yeah. I think if you had a, if you had an entourage or family office that you really love dealing with, it's all about having good people to work with, right? I mean, we've all had businesses or or worked for places and we've had great people that have either worked for us or we've worked with or worked for. And that makes the whole experience awesome. It doesn't really necessarily how much you're getting paid or whatever. If you have good people that you enjoy working with, living with each day, it makes everything awesome. If you have people that kind of suck to talk to, you know, It's not going to be good. But if you had an entourage, you had three or four people working with you, managing your life, Johnny, managing all your investments each day, and you really loved getting on the phone with them and meeting with them each day or talking to them, chit chat, you would love it. You know, it's, it's just about finding the right people, I think. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard to say because I'm so far from that lifestyle where I would have a family office or hire anyone that I think I'm not the target, definitely not the target market for it, but also I'm not in the right mentality for it. So I'm curious mm-hmm. for all you guys listening out there, if any of you are in that ultra wealthy or sentai millionaire, you know, range or, or, you know, aspiring to get there, what your thoughts are, you know, leave a comment in the boss lounge. We would love to hear it because this is a really interesting topic. I think this is something that a lot of people, I look, cause if, a lot of people never like. Where do these people like? If you had a hundred million dollars, where would you even go to get information? It's hard. It's not. It's not really out there. Right, and I think in a lot of cases, people don't level up to a hundred million dollars. They kind of one-time exit to a hundred million dollars. Right, making ten million dollars ten times is a lot harder than making one hundred million dollars once. You, you build a business, you scale it you exit, you make $100 million. That's easier than building 10 businesses and selling each one of them for a $10 million profit. Yeah. So and having them when, when you have that big succeed. windfall, yeah, when you have that big windfall, you, you have a lot to learn how to manage pretty quick. And I think people, you know, hopefully people figure out how to, how to turn to, um, you know, turn, turn to the right place for help and get it under control. Because they've done a survey on people that have won the lottery and most people are broke after two years after winning the lottery and depressed <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because and, and, yeah. they don't know how to manage the money and they, they blow it and then they get depressed. I mean, it's, it all makes sense, right? Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. So if any of you guys gets into a windfall of cash, you win the lottery, you sell business for 10 million plus, feel free to give Sam or I a call. We'd love to chat with you and steer you the right direction. At least you could just take out, take us out for a nice ste- steak dinner or something. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be part of the entourage. We'll, we'll, we'll be the family office. Got no problem yeah, with that. We can do that. I can be your <laughs> so, Johnny, real, real, real quick, were you surprised by how many wealthy people were out there? Because those numbers kind of shocked me. You know, I it's weird because I, I've heard these numbers before and it makes sense on paper. But at the same time, it's still a lot of people, right? And if you imagine if you actually just saw them everywhere, you met them everywhere. First, you know, it's... It, it, it's kind of hard because growing up until I was 25, I had never met a single millionaire. And I thought I would go my whole life never meeting one. It, that was kind of just the, the people I grew up around. You know, my parents never had any money. You know, I never knew any rich people. I never had any rich relatives or anything like that. And now that I've met some millionaires and I'm friends with some and, you know, luckily I have a millionaire podcast co-host and I meet your friends and then, you know, and I meet you know, other, you know, business people kind of through the, through the network, you know, the, the guys at the invest like a boss <laughs> summit, they, I mean, they were just like a room full of millionaires and, and a panel full of millionaires. And that's something that really opened my eyes. And I, and I feel like this is something that every single person should do. If you don't have a mentor or at least, you know, just be in like the same room and know people with a lot of money, it's that first step of opening your eyes to what's possible. 
And for me, if I didn't meet, you know, you, if I didn't meet my mentor JP, if I didn't meet the first, you know, couple, I would have thought you guys were you know, not human, not normal people that I can, you will see every day walking around people that you can, you know, you can aspire to be like. And with the Sentai Millionaires, kind of same thing. I think that if we, you know, if you're surrounded by people who were worth a hundred million, you also realize, hey, they're not that much different either. And it's possible if, if we wanted to put in the work. It's possible. Possible. It's possible. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I just said that. Is that French or, or Spanish? Uh, it's probably Spanish, but <laughs> I think maybe okay. Spanish people might argue that's not. It just popped in my head when, when you said that. But 225,000 ultra wealthy, well, not ultra wealthy, ultra wealthy is 10 million, so 30 million net worth, 250,000 people in the world. It just seems, it just seems crazy. I, I want to know what, what breakdown of people in that group made it or inherited it. Maybe that would make me feel better because man, it's, it's hard. It's hard making that, that type of money. It's hard I mean, it's, out there for people. It's hard out there. It's hard out there life on main street. I'm telling yeah. you. No, well, I don't know. I, I try to look at, at in biz, building businesses. I try to think about the past as a past that's in the bank. That's I'm starting from zero and go out each day and think, okay, if, I can't apply money from before. I can't apply that much resources or or, or network from before. I'm, what I'm doing now is starting from zero, and I have to build it up. And man, it's really hard. Like it's it's hard to to two p or three p. It's hard to one p. But it's hard to make money out there. And I just pat everybody on the back out there that's hustling to get to that first million, first ten million, first hundred million. It ain't easy. It's not easy for anybody. It really isn't. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And the advice you had given a few minutes ago, that is on point. So if anyone is out there currently building and scaling a, a business, do realize that that is your your one lottery ticket. You may have another one, but you may not. So scale it as yeah. big as you can before you cash out because the chances of having another one of those lottery tickets is pretty slim. That's right. So many things play in the world comes together. Timing is right. And I think Richard also had some really good points just about how to think about opportunities and, and build a business and making sure you get some of these peripheral things right in terms of the market size, making sure you have optionality at the top, making sure that the trend's moving in the right direction. Things that probably we're all thinking about subconsciously, but when you're thinking about building a business, it's worth going back. And making sure that those things are there if you are truly trying to build something to to uh, create generational wealth. Speaking of generational wealth, what are your plans? Like, do you want to have be able to leave money for your kids and you know leave them you know as millionaires? Like, what like what is what is your goal? Like, what would your legacy be? I would, I, I kind of think about what Richard said with just growth. Um, I mean, I'm I'm getting up every morning. I have this innate fire in my belly that is overwhelming. Uh, and I don't know where it comes from. You know, some of Eminem's rap songs talk about firing out at 30 or burning out at 30 or the fire in the belly goes, I still have mine. And I don't know. I mean, I, I just want to keep growing. I want to, there's just an endless list of things that I want to do in this world still professionally, uh, hobby wise, you know, I'd, I'd still like to become an Olympic champion or something. And I just <laughs> don't know if that ship has probably sailed. You can't do it all at once. But no, I don't know. I, I think that the most entertaining thing that anyone can do is build a business on foreign soil, like foreign conquest. Uh, go out and explore foreign land, build a business, make it global in some capacity. Uh, and then you have like all these different extreme events happening at once. Um, it's just all such a uh, just a, a stimulating chapter of life. Uh, and that's what I want to do again. You know, I don't have a desire to come and build a brick and mortar store in the US, but I would love to build a global enterprise that might be based in, say, China again or Spain or something like that. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's funny because we are so opposite. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Like if you told me, Johnny, <laughs> you have to spend the next five years living in China, like to build and you'll, you know, and you'll build a hundred million dollar business. I don't know if I would do it. Yeah, I honestly don't know if I would do it, especially if it wasn't like if it was. You know, nothing's guaranteed, right? If you said, Johnny, you have a significant yeah. chance, like a more than ten percent chance, five years China, hundred million dollars, would you do it? I would say you would do it for sure, right? Well, 
you have to keep in mind, even through the last business that we built, I was never sleeping in the same bed for more than five days for like five years. And I traveled every single weekend almost to a different place in Europe. I mean, it was, it wasn't like I was stuck in a box for five years in a place I didn't want to be. And I, I don't, I could never do that. I couldn't be in an office for the next two years, no matter how much money there was, it's just not worth it to me. But if you can build something and maintain the lifestyle that you want to have and, um, and have some flexibility of location and operating hours, then of course, I think it's, it's a worthwhile venture. That, that sounds even worse to me moving around every five days for the next five years. Yeah. So, well, that was a little, that was a little too fast extreme. But Johnny, we've been how many places in the last three years and we've both been building something. I've been, you know, starting business. We haven't been on lockdown. It's been good. It's been a yeah. good ride. Don't regret anything. I, I like our life. I, I think we're in a good place. I think, I don't think we were really lacking anything. Is, is there anything that money can buy? Like if you had more money, you would want to buy is like, like, do you want a yacht? Do you want a jet? Is there anything that you actually want to have more money to be able to attain? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, Richard mentioned that one of his friends just took or one of his clients just took a $2.5 million vacation. I don't even know what that could possibly be. I know you can get kind of crazy with renting super yachts for a month that might cost you a million bucks or something. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know how you spend that type of money. But to be honest, Anytime I spend more than 10 grand in a month, I feel horrible. It's just who I am. I was, I was raised frugal, not to waste. When I spend more than that, I mean, I, I can live a very, very happy life in certain parts of the world, all five grand. I know it. And so when I spend 12, 15 grand in a month, I just feel bad. So I don't think I could ever get to the level where I spend that type of money and feel good or happy about it. I'd rather give that money to charity or do some, some good in the world. But I would like to have maybe, you know, a half dozen really nice international properties that are completely paid for and I can have friends and family entertained there and, and housed there, you know, throughout the year. That's what I really enjoy. I love I love being able to host and entertain people and to have, you know, a really nice lake property in Switzerland and a nice penthouse in Barcelona and, you know, a couple, a couple more like that. I think that would be awesome. And then just split time between there and always have friends and family there and uh, hanging out. That would be, I think that would be the peak for me. How about you, Johnny? Tell me what's in there. So for me, I, I love not having responsibilities, not having upkeep for anything. So I would, my ideal dream, if I had, you know, a hundred million dollars, I wouldn't own anything still, but what I would want is to have the option to be able to say, "Hey, let's all go to the Four Seasons, you know, name the country. I'm gonna pay business class for every single person, you know, that's in my family or my or my immediate friends, and we'll get you know six rooms like side by side. You know, we can get the the like the villa suite, you know, so everyone has a place to come hang out." Or, you know, we can even just, I can go on Airbnb and, and order, you know, basically like not worry about the budget, not, not put the slider all the way to the bottom 20% and say, all right, what's the best deal I can find? <laughs> but just be able to, you know, just be like, all right, let's splash out, you know, let's get a place that's a couple hundred bucks a night or a couple thousand bucks a month or whatever it is and not have to stress about that. I think that would be nice. So business class flights for I me and all my friends and, you know, expensive hotel rooms, expensive Airbnbs, and not stressing about it ever. It really does feel so good to just flush everything out, get rid of all the stuff that you have, and know that you can survive and be happy just in a, in a suitcase. And I know you've been doing that for a long time. I think the average person that has $100 million, maybe one in 100 are doing that. If that, I would say probably less than that. Because it's just a natural human instinct that as you get more, you spend more, you acquire more, you hoard more. But I do think that most people would be happier if they just stripped it all down and, and adopted exactly what you said, Johnny. But I think in, in reality, it's a very, very difficult thing for, for anyone to do. I, I wonder if there's anyone out there. If you guys know of anyone out there that's worth, you know, let's say, 30 million plus, even 10 million plus, that they spend their money, they enjoy it, you know, they're not hoarding it. You know they're smart about it, right? But they're they're not they're not you know let's, let's say they're not going like net negative, but they're renting on Toro. They're like, all right, you know, I'm gonna have a Porsche for this month, or I'm gonna have a Ferrari for 
for the month. Mm. You know, I'm going to have a $10,000 Airbnb this month. I'm going to fly, you know, I'm going to fly out all my friends. Like I want, you know, but at the same time, they don't, they don't, they don't own anything. They have, you know, no responsibilities. I want that guy on the podcast. If anyone knows of that person, let us know because I would love to meet him, love to interview them, and just like I, I think that's the that's the ultimate. No stress, no need for mm-hmm. you know for anything. You know who might be that guy, Johnny? Who the guy that your, sold your MySpace? Oh, the, oh. Um, Wait, I think the guy team? that sold MySpace is like I, I don't know how much he made. I want to say like half a half a billion dollars. Yeah, wasn't it Tom? I don't know. He he was. And my I heard he's just like. I'm sure he was everyone's yeah. friend. I think I've heard he's just like in the northern foothills of Vietnam, just taking photographs. He's been doing this for a long time. Um, but anyways, I, I do think if, as Johnny said, if anyone knows someone, let's set the bar at twenty million, worth twenty million dollars, basically living out of suitcase. We want to talk to him. We would love it. And if you guys yeah. are worth more than twenty million and you're stressing out. Go find a family office because like, like you make too much, you have too much money to be stressing out. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, we'd like to talk to you too because I think that I think studying and learning from the lifestyles uh, of, of the rich and famous, but of course, of people that have made a lot of money, it's super important. It's like going back to the episode of Happy Money. I mean, you can you can have all this, you can acquire all of it, but you can still be absolutely miserable if you let it get the best of you. If you have a good relationship with money, you can have nothing or you can have that $100 million and you can be super happy. And if, if your aim is to continue to grow your wealth, which everyone listening to this podcast most likely is, we got to make sure that no matter where we get, we're happy with it. I love it. And with that, I hope you guys are all bossing out. You guys are all super happy where you are. And I hope you guys are happy with the podcast. If you've enjoyed Invest Like a Boss, please take a minute to go to the iTunes store, leave it a rating, leave it review. This is how more people find the show and how you can kind of shout out and just tell us uh, that you've been enjoying it. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, wow, we got a bunch of new reviews these last couple of weeks, last couple of months. Um, I'm just going to read the, the, the latest one. We have Rob from Seattle. He says, five stars, more, most value, more valuable than my finance degree. Been listening to iLab since 2016, and it is the only podcast I consistently recommend to my friends. I had the opportunity to meet Johnny and Sam at the Invest Like a Boss Summit last month, and the, the, they are great guys who generally care about helping people become financial literate best podcast out there <laughs> how about english literate both you and i need need help I in that I, i'm so bad at reading these reviews <laughs> but rob it was really great meeting you as well and everyone yeah. who came out to invest like a boss summit it was so great meeting you guys we, we hope that all of you got a lot out of the the event a lot of the you know a lot of the podcast a lot of meeting all the bosses out there and for you guys who missed it it sucks but keep us in the show and we would love to see you at the next one Absolutely. All right, Johnny, let's rock and roll. Q4, buddy. Let's race to the finish line. Let's race to the 100 milli and the penthouse suites on Airbnb. Centimillionaire. I'll own it. You can rent it, buddy. All right. Yeah, I'll rent it. You own it. All right. Yeah, sounds good. So thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. And check out our sponsor for the week, masterworks.io, the pioneer in securitizing blue chip art to make it available to everyone. Check them out at masterworks.io or click the link in our show notes. See you guys all next week. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.